want to start by saying thank you to our worship team who have, by the Spirit, led us into worship and allowed us to reset our hearts. Because that's oftentimes what we need when we walk into a church. We need a heart reset. And, uh, and that's because all the things out there in the world that, that cause us grief and trouble and sometimes even cause us joy, they oftentimes distract us from the most important things that we could ever experience. And that is the Spirit of Christ Himself among us today. And so, again, thank you to our worship team for that. And I just want to say that my name, is, my name is Pastor Chris Hartley. If I haven't met you yet or if I don't know you, please stop and introduce yourself. That would be fantastic. I am the pastor of campus life here at Triumph East, and it is just a blessing and it is good to be with you this morning. So during this Advent season, uh, we've been looking at both Scripture, of course, and inspired song that naturally lead us to consider the very source of our inspiration during this time of year. And that source is none other than the Creator Himself. It is this God, this Creator, who broke into our world, um, who came into our messiness, who came into our darkness and said, you know what? I cannot and I will not leave them where they are. It is not in my nature. It is not who I am. I must come and be with them and reconcile them. And, and, and in the midst of this, we, we oftentimes, we, as, as his creation, we've defied him. We've, we've defied him, we've rebelled against him, and quite frankly, there are times where we've said as, as humanity, you know what, we could probably do a better job at being God. Let us, you know, hold my drink, let me handle this, God. I got it. Yet in the midst of all those levels of rebellion, in the midst of anything that we could do, God inconspicuously made his way right here to earth. And he came and he was, he was born to a young couple who had little means in the most unlikely of places. And while all this occurred, angels in the heavens, they rejoiced, pointing to a new era where God and man would be fully reconciled, that they would fully know one another, and that sins would be fully and completely forgiven. Now, and forevermore. And that is the point in history that we get to ponder and look at today when Christ came down and visited us in our mess. So this morning, we continue to look at the Christmas story, and, uh, and we get to look into another song that, uh, that has been inspired by God's Word. So we're going to be reading from the book of Luke, and we're in chapter 2. If you have a paper Bible that you like, go to Luke chapter 2. If you have a phone, just kind of click your way there, or you can just check it out on the screen, and that is just fine as well. But we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, verses 8 through 14. Luke 2, 8 through 14, reading in Jesus' name. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace be among those with whom he is pleased. Here ends the reading of God's word. And you pray with me. Lord, it is a gift to be here, and it is a gift to worship and raise our voices to you. It is a gift to be among your saints. Broken as we are, we are here worshiping you. And Lord, you remind us over and over where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are. Well, Lord, we know you're among us this morning. And so we'd ask that you'd be generous with your spirit, pour it over us as we hear your word, remove distractions from our hearts and our minds that might cause us to fear or to have anxiety or, or anything that would cause us to not fully believe that you have come to rescue us. Lord, give us your word this morning and give it generously and, and open up our hearts to it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I want to start by saying that um, I, I've said this a couple times in, in my first four months of being here, but I'll, I'll say it again just in case you don't know me very well. I did not grow up going to church. And so I didn't start going to church until my mid-20s. And that means when traditional prayers or, or hymns are oftentimes sung, I, I don't know them. I don't know them. And, and, and I was thinking about one thing specifically that's been so awkward for me so many times. Um, I'll use a southern word, y'all. Y'all have a table prayer, and I think it's Norwegian. I don't know where it comes from, but it's a table prayer that, it's, that you kind of sing it, and every time I've ever heard it, I just sit there awkwardly. And I'm kind of like trying to fake it till I make it, like mumbling words under my breath. But I don't, I don't know the table prayer. Um, I, I, invited, I invited people in the first service. If you know what table prayer I'm talking about, can you email me? Seriously, can you email me the words? Because I don't know it. And, and I've been faking it for a really long time. Anybody else in here fake it when they, when they don't know like a hymn or a prayer? I got one. I got two. That's two more than I got the last service. Nobody in the last service admitted that they fake it till they make it in church. Nobody. And I was like, oh my gosh, I truly am surrounded by the saints. This is amazing. <laughs> this is great. Now I'm the least of these, which is a good position, but you know, anyway. Yeah, so I, I but I'll tell you what, a new thing here. Um, not too long ago, you know, I admit that it shouldn't have taken this long, but not too long ago, I did come to my senses on this topic, and, and I remembered that there is no need to fake it. There's no need to do that. There's no reason to do that, because God's grace is not based on if I know all the words to a table prayer or, or a hymn or, or any of those things. God's grace is solely based on what he has come and done for me and, and how he has lived a perfect life and died a death so that I could be righteous. And so if you've been faking it until you make it, just let it go. Let it go. It's okay. You can, you can do what I do now, which is I just kind of sit back and I go, huh, that's kind of nice. That's kind of nice. Well, despite the fact of not growing up in a church, there are some churchy things that get out into the secular world. Music happens to be one of those. And I'll tell you that this, the first song that we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, 
That, that song is so powerfully and just beautifully composed that it has definitely made its way into the secular world. I have been hearing that song my entire life, even though I have not been a Christian for that long, quite frankly. And so if you didn't know it already, I'll give you some history on this song. It's actually compiled by several people uh, over the course of several decades during the 1700s. And it's inspired by the text that we read this morning in Luke chapter 2. Now, knowing those two things kind of interlock and one inspired the other, I just decided this week to put them side by side and say, okay, why, why are these things connected? Where's the, where's the similarities here that inspired this song? And I'll tell you what, I found, I discovered a striking connection. It's, it's unique and it's fantastic. And so I want to share that with you this morning. The shepherds who were the first people to know about Christ's birth were informed by an angel of the Lord whose glory, and I, I love this picture I found, it's, a, it's this beautiful painting, but the glory of the Lord through the angels, it, it shone around the shepherds, it engulfed them to the point where Luke said that they were afraid. Now, I don't do a lot of language stuff with you guys, but I'll tell you that Luke uses two different words back to back that talk about how afraid they were. And then after those two words, he uses this word megas, right? That sounds like mega, doesn't it? Okay, megas is just, they are greatly afraid. They are, they are out of their minds terrified in this moment when this happens. They have good reason to be. The glory of the Lord is among them. I'll say that had I been there, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have seen baby Jesus. I would have never made the trip. I would have had a heart attack and died right there. I do not have, oh, I do not have the, uh, the capacity to be that scared, I don't think. It would, it would have killed me. Yet, in the midst of, of being afraid, in the midst of, of the fear of the glory of the Lord, the word of the angel, God's messenger, it came to them, and here's the word, fear not. Fear not, or do not be afraid. Why? Because as the angel said, there is good news and great joy in the birth of the Messiah. And here's the connection that I mentioned between this text and the song. In the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we're reminded of three different reasons within the three verses why no matter what is happening in our lives, no matter what's occurring, no matter what's going on, we need not fear. No reason to be afraid. Number one, from verse one, we need not fear because God and sinners are reconciled. God and sinners are reconciled. So when we hear that word reconciliation, it can oftentimes get mixed up or kind of intertwined with the word forgiveness, right? And that makes sense, doesn't it? Um, but we have to recognize that these two, and that's not to say that these two things are mutually exclusive, because in the best cases, in the very best scenarios, forgiveness and reconciliation, well, they'll overlap. Um, and so they'll, they'll, they'll become, you know, kind of together with one another. But that doesn't negate that there are also some important differences between reconciliation and forgiveness. For example, by the grace of God, by God's grace only, let me emphasize that, we can offer and we can declare and we can pray that those who've offended us, those who have hurt us, those who have maligned our name, whatever, we can pray 
that they would be forgiven. And we can pronounce that forgiveness to them. And we can, we can let it all go, right? It can, it can all go away. The bitterness, the anger, the, the hate. Through God, it, it, it can all go away. We can completely forgive. Yet, the difference is, that relationship, perhaps, has not been returned to its original state. The relationship that we once had, even after declaring forgiveness, maybe it's changed, or it's in some way impaired from what it used to be. Um, I'll share kind of a personal story. Um, I grew up, I grew up with, uh, with somebody. He was, a, he was a stepbrother, and I grew up with him, and, and we were really close for a long time, my whole time growing up. And there were some things that, that he, he had done that were very deep and very personal, and, and, um, and they were bad, quite frankly. They were really bad. And so the relationship is broken. Yet I'll tell you, and this is not a holier-than-thou moment. This isn't a, hey, everybody be like me moment. But what, it is, what, it, what I will say is that through prayer, God has allowed me to let that, let that stuff go. I have completely forgiven him. There is no offense that he has ever put on me that I hold any ill will towards him in. Not even one. In fact, I'll tell you this honestly, there have been times in recent years where God has put it in my heart and he's put it in my mind that, that I should pray for this guy. And, and, and when I think about him now, quite honestly, I have a lot of fond memories. I don't think about the bad stuff that, that wrecked our relationship usually. I, I usually think about all the good things, the things that... Uh, it made us, made us close. And so I recognize within that that reconciliation hasn't occurred though, right? Reconciliation hasn't occurred because the relationship that was once there is still impaired. It's changed. It's, it's broken in some way. It remains um, not fixed regardless of the forgiveness. So you see, mankind's original relationship with God, well, it was perfect too. Before Adam and Eve were tempted into sin and, uh, by Satan and, and then they rebelled against him, um, their relationship was perfect. Now we know after that point, after, after they had sinned against God, we, we can read the entire Old Testament and is constantly God trying to win his people back and offering forgiveness and, and, and using sacrifices and that whole system to offer forgiveness. Yet, we know that the law... And all those sacrifices were only a shadow of the good things to come in order to fully reconcile humanity to Jesus Christ. And we know that because had, had the law and, and sacrifices in, of those natures, had we been able basically to work and put in the effort to make that relationship right again, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. We wouldn't, we wouldn't need to celebrate Christmas. We wouldn't need to celebrate the birth of Christ because we could do it ourselves. But quite frankly, that's not the case. I do want to share a little story real quick about maybe what reconciliation really looks like in real time for, for people just like us. I read this story, and this story is about Tom and Leonard, okay? Tom, and this is a real thing. Uh, Tom he got a new truck, and oh my gosh, he loved his new truck. As you can imagine, he probably paid who knows how much for it, but he loved his new truck, and his friend Leonard was coming into town for a conference, and so Tom, all excited, he, he drives to the airport to pick up Leonard in his brand new truck, and Leonard, Leonard comes out, and he's like, oh, whoa, that's awesome. 
that's amazing. That's, oh my, oh my gosh, that's a cool truck. And so, I mean, the whole ride to the hotel, these two buddies, man, they're just talking about the truck and how cool and all these features and all this stuff. <sighs> Fast forward two days, right? Fast forward two days. Tom goes to pick up Leonard at the airport. And as, as Leonard walks, you know, walks out, um, he, he comes to the passenger side and there's two huge scratches on this brand new truck across the door. Leonard is like mortified for his friend. And so first, of course, first thing he asks is like, oh my gosh, what happened? What happened to the truck? What happened? And so Tom, Tom just replied, well, um, there was an incident where my neighbor's basketball hoop, it had fallen and, and, and it scratched the truck pretty bad. And Leonard's like, oh man, that's, that's really bad. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I, this truck is so new, I can smell it. I can't believe that happened to you. And, and Tom goes on to say, you know, what's really sad about it is my neighbors, they won't take any responsibility for it. I've talked to them and they refuse to say that it was their fault. They refuse. And so Leonard, being the good friend he is, he's like, okay, so what are you going to do? You're going to call your insurance company? You're going to call your lawyer? What are you going to do? You got to get this truck paid for. It's brand new. It's, it, oh my gosh, it's so expensive, right? Well, here's what Tom said, and, uh, and I'm going to read it word for word because it's really important. Tom said, this has been a real spiritual journey for me. After a lot of soul searching and discussion with my wife about hiring an attorney, it came down to this. I can either be right or I can be in relationship with my neighbor. I can either be right or I can be in relationship with my neighbor. Since my neighbor will probably be with me longer than this truck, I've decided I'd rather be in relationship than be right. On an infinitely, infinitely larger scale, than a damaged brand new truck. God looks at us. He sees all of our faults. He sees our, he sees our sins. He sees our very rebellion against him. And he rightly declares that he has every right to judge. He has every right to be right. Yet instead of being right, God reconciles. Instead of holding our feet to the fire, God reconciles. And instead of staying in heaven and rightly judging our sins from afar, he came down to live among us and reconcile. Reconcile our sin so that we could have a real relationship with him. What did it cost him to reconcile? What did it cost him? Because it always costs something to reconcile. For Tom, it cost him his brand new truck. That's what reconciliation looked like for Tom. But what did it cost Jesus? It cost him leaving heaven. It, it meant that he was going to be ashamed. It meant that he was going to be mocked. It meant that he was going to be spit on. It meant that he was going to be beaten. It meant that he was going to be whipped 
over and over and over again until he's barely recognizable. It meant that they were going to take thorns and push them down into his head to disrespect him. And it meant that they were going to hang him on a cross, the most disrespectful way a human being could die at that point, so everybody can see. Here's the king of the Jews. Worship him now. Reconciliation meant all of those things. Yet God came anyway. He came anyway and he made it personal. He didn't, he didn't stay off at a distance. He came and he made reconciliation personal so that people just like you and me wouldn't have to endure the punishment that our sins deserve. And we wouldn't have to endure the fires of hell that our sins deserve. God made it personal. Now, speaking of him personally coming to reconcile us, that brings us to our second point. And that brings us to the second verse of this song. And the lyric from the second verse says, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Kind of has a nice, nice ring to it. It rhymes really nice. But we fear not. We fear not precisely because God made it personal, and that makes all the difference in the world. Let me explain. To be personally and authentically known and loved is not just the most, it's not an amazing gift, it's the gift. There is nothing greater, uh, no, matter, no matter how well your life is lived, is lived, there's no greater gift than being known and loved and having the ability to also know and love another person. And, and it matters, and we know that, because as God made man and woman in his image, the first thing he did was he had personal, authentic relationship with them. That was, that was where he was. That's where he spent his time, personally and authentically knowing people just like you and me. And so we recognize that being fulfilled in our relationships and being fulfilled is how we're built. It's how God made us because God is relationship and God is love. He is all those things. He encompasses those things. And that's why we're built the way we are. It's in our DNA. I want to um, mention something, and this, is, this works so well, and, and I just I love the research that's been done here. There's a TED Talk. And it's entitled, Everything You Think You Know About Addiction is Wrong. Everything you think you know about addiction is wrong. I'm just going to tell you, after you walk out of here today, go on YouTube and spend the next 14 minutes of your life watching this talk. It is phenomenal. I'm going to give you a short version of it. This British journalist, Johan Hari, he discusses the research into underlying causes of addiction. And here's what he concludes. He concludes that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. He argues, that, he argues via clinical research that the addiction is not about the pleasurable effects of the substances themselves. Rather, it's about the user's inability to connect in healthy ways to other human beings. In other, in other words, addiction is not a substance disorder. It is, in fact, a relationship disorder. Now, there's two things that he kind of keys in on. One is that in Portugal, 
uh, they, had, they, they went and they couldn't figure out the drug problem. They did it the way that America's been doing, locking people up, all these kinds of things forever. And they said, it's not working. It's not working. So you know what Portugal did? You can look this up. They legalized everything. Now you might be saying to yourself, oh, oh no, you can't do that. You can't legalize everything. What will happen? It'll be complete chaos. They took all the money that they were using to, to lock these people up and arrest them. You know what they put the money into? They put it in a, into community programs that would get addicts connected again, connected to society and connected in real relationship. That's where they put all the money. Their results were that 50%, half of every single person who had a drug addiction stopped. Half. I guarantee we do not have results like that in the United States. Promise you. The other thing that, that uh, he, he looked at in research was there was research done with rats. And you might say, well, rats, that's kind of weird. But listen, hear me out. They took a, a single rat and they isolated it and they, they put it in a cage by itself and they gave it two forms of water. One, one of the bottles or vials of water, it was clean and it was good and it was clear. The other vial of water, it was laced with heroin. Okay, so let's see what the rat does. Many rats, let's see what they all do. Well, they start, with the, they start with the normal water, but eventually over time, they get addicted to the heroin. And you know what it does? It kills them, of course. Now, another experiment. They take rats, much bigger cage, put 20 of them in there, both male and female, and you know what they do? They give them lots of space and they give them things to play with and they give them community and they offer them opportunities to mate and create families and rest well and all these kinds of things. It's like rat paradise, right? How many of the rats do you think in rat paradise got addicted to the heroin? Because they did the same thing. They put the water in there, regular, and the water with heroin. How many of those rats got addicted to heroin? Zero. Not even one. The same addictive substance was available to the rats who were in authentic, real community, and not one of them got addicted. Not one of them died from it. You see, God is no fool. God, he knows that when he designed us in his image, he designed us to thrive in real, authentic, and meaningful relationships because that's exactly who he is. Like I just said, that's his nature. He is love. He is relationship. He is in us. He does dwell in us for the purpose of being in fellowship. And it's that same desire to be in fellowship that caused him to come down from heaven and be with us personally. He endured all those things that we talked about, that he might be with us. And not just for now, because I oftentimes think, Jesus, why don't you, why don't you just stay? Why don't you just stay? You know, I could, I could use some face-to-face -face Jesus time. Why didn't you just stay? But he left, and as he left, he said, I have to leave because I'm going to leave my spirit, and that's better. So we trust him, and we say, Lord, then if you're going to leave your spirit, and that's better, then, then be generous with it. Be generous with it that I might know and feel your love and your compassion for me. 
So we pray for that. We pray for God to be generous with his spirit, that we might know that he loves us unconditionally, and we might know that he made it personal, reconciling us to himself through his presence right here. Now, the third, the third point. We fear not, even in the face of our greatest burdens, and even in the the face of the greatest atrocities that that could ever befall us. We fear not in the midst of those things. And that greatest thing, above all other things, is death. It's easy to be afraid of death because it looks and it feels so final. And it looks like Satan is one. But we fear not. We fear not because our, our fears are quenched as our faith rests in Jesus Christ. Because as the lyric in the third verse of this song so beautifully states, born that man no more may die. Did you hear that? That man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. God's word makes it perfectly clear that at the coming of Jesus Christ into the world, he was a redemptive force for all of mankind that completely annihilates death and its power and its sting and any hold it has over us. It annihilates it. In Luke chapter 20, before Jesus goes to the cross, he's having a conversation. He's debating with these Sadducees. And here's part of the conversation. He says this, because they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in life everlasting. So here's what he says to them. He says, in fact, they can no longer die because they are like the angels. You know who that is that he's referring to? He's referring to believers, those who have a simple childlike faith in him. In fact, they can no longer die because they're like angels, and since they're sons of the resurrection, they are sons of God. Even Moses demonstrates that the dead are raised in the passage about the burning bush. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living for to him all are alive. To him, all are alive. So in case you didn't know it, in case you need to be reminded or retold because your heart has strayed, in case you've never heard it, I just want to assure you and I want to tell you that God has an amazing, infinite, wonderful plan for your life here and your life with him. And it's a plan of complete fullness, and it's a plan of complete abundance that, quite frankly, you, we can't understand right now. Now, I want to tell you this, and I do want you to hear me clearly, that um, this plan is not necessarily a guarantee of health, wealth, and happiness during this lifetime. That's not, that's not the point, as some people would choose to suppose and preach and write books about. That's not the point. Because what God has planned for us is infinitely better than anything that we could ever gain on this earth because as we talked about, God has personally come down to reconcile you and me. And what that means is that I get to become a son. What that means for you is that you get to become a son or a daughter of God. That makes you an heir to his kingdom. That makes you a rightful heir to everything that God has, to everything he's created. 
Do you get that gift? Do you get that you are heirs to the kingdom of God as you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you understand the gift that has been given to you? It's yours. It's completely yours. And as, as you are baptized into this faith, and as you take communion and you receive Jesus' holy body and blood, and as you, as you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you trust in him completely, that is your destiny. That is for you. And there is no greater gift you could ever have. So no matter what life throws at you, no matter how hard it is, no matter how, how bad the hurt or deep the wounds or maybe even how real the scars are that you can see, you have a secure hope and you have a future in your Father's kingdom to dwell as a son or a daughter of God in his very presence because Jesus Christ came to meet you and to love you just as you are, not as you ought to be. I'll say that one more time because it's really important. God came to love you just as you are, not as you ought to be. That's a true gift. That's an amazing thing. So as we wrap up this morning, we're over time. What anybody can say in one sentence, I can say in five. You laugh because it's true, so thank you for that. But as we, as we wrap up this morning, I, I'll, echo, I'll echo the words of the angels who spoke kindly to the shepherds on that faithful evening. I'll echo those one more time. They said, fear not, for there is good news of great joy for you. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among whom he is pleased. And if you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that is most certainly you today. You're blessed beyond measure. I hope each one of us recognize that as we come into this holy season where we get to ponder and reflect on how God has joined us. Let's pray. Lord of heaven and earth, you are great and mighty. And on our best days, we declare it. We declare it to ourselves. We declare it to our family. And God willing, we declare it to our neighbors and our friends and our family who don't live with us. Lord, you are mighty and you are gracious to save. So Lord, in the midst of your goodness and your steadfast love, remember us. Remember your promise to us. Now you would be with us and give us your spirit. Remember our sins no more, that we could be fully reconciled to you. And Lord, it is my prayer for, for myself and each one of us that in turn, we would remember you in all of the moments of our life, that we would remember that you are with us and you are for us, even when we mess up. So Lord, Show your grace and mercy today. Open our hearts to what you have in store for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.